Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Man, first service is fired up this morning. I like it. Let's turn to John chapter 17. And then if you want to mark Mark 5, if you want to put a ribbon in Mark 5, you can do that. We'll get there later. But we're going to begin in John chapter 17. If you'll turn there and we will pray. Father, as we approach your word, we humble ourselves. We stop and we remind ourselves that you are God Almighty and that you wrote us this book. And it is to be taken by us and to be obeyed by us. Lord, we come together as a church and we declare that this is the absolute authority over our lives. We declare that we are desperate for you and a move of your spirit if we are going to be and do what you have called us to be and do. So Lord, as we study your word now, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would transform us, and that you would meet us right where each one of us are at. Thank you that you know exactly where every one of us are at, and you can meet us right there in that place. Lord, as we open your word, speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we are continuing in our series on the life and times of Jesus, as we have for some time now. We are, as you well know, up to the, this, this chunk of Scripture where Jesus is sitting in the upper room with his disciples, he has just delivered this farewell discourse that we've been going through. And then now he is in what we often refer to as the high priestly prayer. This beautiful prayer between God the Son and God the Father. And we're going to take a few weeks as we started last week. Uh, actually, the week before, Brandon spoke about the beginning of this prayer. And then now we're up to... Uh, verse 18 here, and we're taking like three weeks just to deal with verse 18. And if you look at at verse 18, notice what it says. This is Jesus telling us what it's about, what it means to be a disciple of his. And he says, as he's praying to the Father there in verse 18, he says, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them, his disciples, into the world. And the point that that we talked about last week and we're going to talk about this week and next week is that we need to grab a hold of this idea that we are a sent people. That, That every single disciple of Jesus has been sent out with the gospel for the sake of the souls of others. That that the world may know. That's what we're going to discover today that the world may know through us the love and the grace and the forgiveness that that we've found and that is only found in Jesus Christ. That, That is, that if you have and I have experienced the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, we're then sent out to tell others. And as we explained last week, there's no exceptions to this. Jesus didn't intend for any of his followers to be spectators. If you view yourself as an audience right now, 
And as a spectator, you have a wrong view of your calling from the Lord. Every one of us is called to go. And that was the whole point that we got to last week, to to give us a sense. The, The hope is that everyone that calls this church their church home would have a sense that you are a sent person, that you're to be on mission with your life. And hopefully, as you walked out these doors last week and as you went through your, your week th- this past week, you had a renewed and a strong sense that you are a sent person. And hopefully you did something with that. Now, today and for next week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what that should look like in our lives. It's one thing to say that we're a sent people, but, but then we want to answer some questions, don't we? Where am I sent? What is God calling me to? How is that to play out in my everyday life? Right, okay, I heard the sermon last week. I'm a sent person, I get that. But what does that look like me? Look like for me tomorrow at work? Where am I sent to? And so we're going to break this into two parts. This week, we're going to, as you can see, we're going to talk about being sent here. Sent here. That we are to be on mission locally. Next week, we're going to be talking about being sent there. That we are to be on mission globally. And we'll talk about world missions next week. But this week, we're talking about what it means to be sent here. And the whole point of today's message and today's study is to show us and that we might grab a hold of the fact that we are a sent people right here, right now, to the people right around us with the love and the truth that Christ has given us and has transformed our lives with. Meaning this, that where God has you right now is where you're sent. The people that you know And the people that he brings into your life on a regular basis are the people that you're sent to. And the message that you have is that Jesus has saved you and transformed you and that other people can experience the same thing that you have experienced. That's what we're looking at today. So let's begin to look at our text again. Look at verse 18 again. We'll go through 21, I believe. Verse 18, Jesus again is praying to the Father and he says this for our sake. He says, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Now, one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible, verse 19, and I gave myself, I give myself, Jesus is praying to the Father, as a holy sacrifice for them. Thank you, Jesus so they can be made holy by your truth. Before we go any further, talking about being sent, it is important that we make note of the fact or make note of what it is that compelled and drove Jesus and what drove him was love for us, correct? When we think about the fact that we are sent, our sentness begins with The fact that Christ loved us and showed us that love through the cross, right? That's what he says. I give myself as a sacrifice for them. That that, that Christ came into the world and that he lived this 
perfect sinless life that we could never live. And he took our sins upon himself and he gave himself as a sacrifice upon the cross, paid our price of sin, taking away the power and penalty of sin so that we could be renewed to a relationship with God that had been broken by our sin. And all of it, all of it because of love. All of it because he loved us. We've got to grab a hold of that. But before we think about ourselves as sent, we've got to grab a hold of that first. Then Jesus goes on in verse 20, and he, he points out that he's not just praying for these disciples, but for us as well. Look at verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, meaning the 11 that are in the room with him at the moment, but also for how many? All who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying for us right here. And we talked about this last week, that as Jesus sat in that upper room, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. And he goes on. And I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. We've spoke about that in weeks past. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us. Now, don't miss this. Why are we in Christ? May they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. You see the progression here. Jesus demonstrates the love of God through the sacrifice of the cross, verse 19. And then through being in relationship with him, right? In verse 20, we see that they may be in us. But, but here's the question. What's the end result of us being in Christ? What's the end result of that relationship that we have with God? It tells us right there in verse 20. May they be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. So that the world may come to know Jesus. How? Through us. Through the relationship that we have with God. Let, let's dig a little deeper into that. The Bible is emphatic in the fact that God is love, right? God is love. It is His very essence. It is His very nature. God is love in His very nature. And the nature of love is to reach out. So God is love in His nature, but the nature of love is to reach out. That's why... One of the most famous verses in the Bible, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent. Love doesn't stay contained within itself. Love reaches out. Love is others oriented. And so we see that the nature of God is love and the nature of love is to reach out. But here's where we come in. If we have been born again, And we have the spirit of the living God living in us as we were saved by faith. We then now have a new nature in Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 24. They say this. It'll come up on your screen there. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off, notice this, your old sinful nature... Your former way of life, which is corrupted by the lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew 
your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. We have a new nature in Christ. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We see it again in Colossians 3.10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So if the nature of God is love and the nature of love is to reach out and we now have a new nature renewed in Christ and that marred image of Christ. We were created in the image of Christ, but that image was marred at the fall. But now Jesus has come back into our life to renew the image of God in us. And hopefully that's happening as we're uh, responding to the Holy Spirit and we're growing in Christ. As that's happening, we have a new nature being renewed into the image of God. Then as redeemed image bearers, being remade and renewed in the image of God, our new nature is to be love, is it not? The nature of God is love. The nature of love is to reach out. We now have a new nature in Christ, which is to be love and to reach out in love. That's why John said in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Let's look at a couple more verses that will help us with this. Look at verse 6 there in John 17, right where you're turned. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, I have, and notice this word, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. Jesus says that he is the revelation of, of God the Father to his disciples, right? He's the revelation. Other translations say he was made manifest, that he was made manifest. God made manifest to humanity in the person of Christ. That is that the invisible God became visible. In fact, that very word right there, manifest, or where where Jesus says, I have revealed you, in the Greek, it's a word that means exactly this, to make actually visible. And so when Jesus says, I have revealed you to these, he's saying that I've taken the invisible God and I have made him visible and tangible to these disciples. That is that God took on flesh and he stepped into our world. That is what we're about to celebrate at the end of this month, right? That's the the moment that we're going to celebrate is Christmas. When that very moment happened, when God took on flesh and stepped into our world. And that's what the incarnation is. That that God is revealed to humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John opened his gospel by explaining it this way. He says, and the word, meaning that eternal word, God, who spoke everything into existence. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? He's talking about Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus explains this to Philip during the the Lord's Supper. In verse 8, Philip says to Jesus, there in John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip says to Jesus, he says, Lord, 
show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. The very essence, the very nature of God is in Christ. In this world, he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say to me, show me, show us the Father? Do, not, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Jesus is the revelation of God to humanity. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. We see it again in Colossians, and it's explained further in Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He is God. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things which we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And everything was created through him and for him. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And then we see it again as Jesus closes the high priestly prayer. Look at John 17, right where you're at. Verse 25 and 26. John 17, 25 and 26. Jesus continues to pray to the Father. And he says, O righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. And then he says it again. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. So God drapes himself in humanity, in the person of Jesus Christ. So that in the day that Christ walked the earth, people could see and experience what God was like, right? If they wanted to know the very love of God, they could look at Jesus and see the very love of God, could they not? If they wanted to know the very character or the very power or the very patience or the compassion of God, they could visibly, tangibly see it in the person of Christ. But now, in the same way that Jesus was, the visible, tangible revelation and character of God to the people around him, now we, his church, Holy Spirit-filled believers that have been redeemed by his blood are now supposed to be, we're not always a great representation, are we? But we're supposed to be the visible, tangible, right now, revelation of God to the people around us. That is, that if people want to know the love of God, they should be able to find that within his church, should they not? If they want to know the patience and the character and the compassion of God, they should be able to look at us and see elements of God within us. That's why Jesus said, in one of the last things he said before he left the earth, is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. People are going to look to you to see what I'm like. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father 
who is in heaven. That's why scripture calls Jesus the light of the world. And then what happens? Jesus turns around and calls us the light of the world. Just as he was the light of the world, we're supposed to be redeemed image bearers carrying his light now. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He saved us, but in turn sent us. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. For Christ, there's some level in which the world should be able to look at our lives and see aspects of Christ. Simply put, the design of God is this. That God takes people with all of their junk and with all of their brokenness and he transforms their lives. Amen. Does anybody have a transformed life in this room? He takes broken people and he transforms their lives. And hopefully, he continues to transform your life as you walk with him, as you surrender to the work of his Holy Spirit in your life, as he reveals things in your life that need to go and and you let go of those things and he begins to build more and more godly character into you. As you go, none of us are perfect. We know that. But he takes broken people. He transforms their lives. He continues to transform their lives. But, but then here's what we got to grab a hold of, church. He then sends them out. He takes people with transformed lives and he sends them out to the other people that are right around them to do two things. To display with their life and explain with their words the transforming power of Christ through the gospel. There's a phenomenal example of this in Mark chapter 5. So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 5, we'll look at this example. We're not going to study the whole story here. We've done that in the past as we've gone through our series on life and times of Jesus. But we're going to read through this and then we're going to focus on what Jesus says and does at the very end of this story. Now... What's happening is John chapter 5 opens is that Jesus has left the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. He's got in a boat, traveled to some seven miles across the Sea of Galilee to a very, very Gentile area of the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis. And he's in this region which is heavily Greek influenced and now occupied by Roman Gentiles. And that's where we pick up. Now, that would have been unheard of for a rabbi of his day. No rabbi who's trying to train his disciples in the ways of the Lord would have taken their disciples to a very Gentile area, but it gives us a sense of what Jesus is doing. He's teaching us to reach out. And it appears in this story that Jesus went to this side of the Sea of Galilee for the sake of one guy because he doesn't do anything else while he's there. So let's begin to read in in verse 1. 
Jesus and his disciples there. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he had gotten out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Now notice the condition of this guy, verse 3. He had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, look at this guy's condition, constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs in the mountains and, and gashing himself with stones. So this guy's in bad shape. Serious, serious bondage, bad shape stuff going on here. Verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. We're not going to talk about demons today, but one thing that I want you guys to know is that demons know the power of Jesus, do they not? Every time we see them in the gospel, what happens? They come up, they fall before him, they cry out, and they ask not to be tormented. Let me ask you, who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. Verse 9. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons employed him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Kind of weird. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. And their herdsmen ran and they reported it to the city and the country. And notice, and the people came out to see what had happened. So super weird scene here, right? Demonized guy. The demons go into the pigs. The pigs drown themselves. We've talked about all that. We're, we're not going to go. There's a lot in there. We're, we've dealt with that before. You can look it up on the website. It's there. But here's where we're going with this. The herdmen, they run away. They tell everybody what Jesus has done. And here's the key in verse 15 through 17. And they came to Jesus. And they observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed in his right mind, the very man who had a legion. And they became frightened. And those who had, been, who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. They're freaked out too. They're like, Jesus, just leave. Verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was employing him that he might accompany him. The guy wants to go with Jesus. Understandable. Verse 19, and he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people 
and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. There's a lot to that story that we're not going to deal with, but I want to deal with the end here. The number one thing that we see is that Jesus transforms lives. The first thing we see is that Jesus transforms lives, right? This guy was hurting. He was lost. He was hopeless. He was bent on his own destruction with no way to help himself. He was in bad shape. And if we understand our condition right before we came to Jesus, that's what we were. We may not have been naked, screaming out in the tombs and cutting ourselves, but but we were lost. We were hopeless. We were bent on our own destruction with no way to help ourselves. And Jesus transforms lives. And he takes this guy and he sets this guy free because that's what Jesus does. He sets people free. He renews and he transforms. Let me ask you something. Are you living a renewed and transformed life? Because I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I don't want to give anybody comfort that they can come in and say some little prayer and go about living as they've always lived and pat them on the back and say, you're for sure saved and you're good to go. Listen, Jesus changes people. You need to be able to look back in your life and see that he has changed you. I'm not saying that you're going to be sinless. That ain't going to happen. And you're still going to make mistakes. But you need to see, that, look, look back at some point in your life. You go, I, I, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not what I was. And I can see that Jesus has grabbed a hold of my life and he has transformed me. Are you living a transformed life? Thank you. Here's what happens though. All the people came to see what had happened to this guy that was absolutely nutso before Jesus got there. And what do they find? This guy clothed, sitting in a Bible study at Jesus' feet. But what does Jesus do with transformed lives? That's the question. Because if we did a show of hands, many of you would say, yes, I do have transformed lives. But here's the question. What does Jesus do with them? He takes them and then sends them. This guy wants to get in the boat with Jesus and Jesus won't let him get in the boat. I would want to get in the boat with Jesus too, especially after what he just did for him. He says, hey, I'm going to hop in the boat with you. You know, you're not. He won't let him go and he sends him out. And this guy, this guy becomes the first Christian missionary ever sent out by Jesus. Now, there's something important in there that we need to notice. Who does Jesus use? What kind of people does Jesus send? We've been talking about being sent, but the question is, what kind of people does Jesus send? Because there's some of you in this room right now that might be thinking to yourself that God could never use me, right? You might be sitting there and you go, yeah, I can see how he might use that guy and that guy. Those guys are awesome. He can't use me. 
I'm a nobody. I'm not gifted. I'm not smart enough. I'm not popular enough. I don't speak well enough. I'm not influential enough or whatever excuse that we make. So, right? You, you might be sitting there and thinking God could never use me. Or maybe you're thinking that God could never use me because of my shameful, scandalous past, right? I've just been too messed up for too long. I'm too far gone. Can't, God can't use somebody with my past. God can't use some. You, you may be sitting there thinking that right now. L- let me ask you a question. What message do you think Jesus is trying to send us when the very first Christian missionary that he ever sent had just been a demonized freak? Moments earlier. What message do you think he's sending? I mean, of all the people in that land on that day, if you ask the, the religious people, the church going, who do you think that, that Jesus is going to make the first missionary? I'm guessing this would have been the last guy on anybody's list. But is that not what God does? When we read our Bible, who does God use? I've pointed this out before. Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. David was a liar and a murderer. Paul imprisoned Christians and was happy when they were killed. Peter lied, denied, and deserted Jesus in his darkest hour. And the very first Christian missionary had just been a demonized freak. Who does God use? But but that's God's specialty. To take messed up, broken people. To redeem them. To renew them. To transform them. And then send them out. And what that means for every one of us is every single one of us in this room are usable in the hands of God. We just have to be willing to be transformed and then we have to be willing to go. Now, look at where this guy went. Verse 19, wanted to get in the boat. Jesus wouldn't let him. But he said to him, go home to your people. Notice that. Go home to your people. Jesus just simply sent this guy to the people that were already around him. He said, go home to your people. We are a sent people, but we need to start. We need to be on mission right where we are right now to the people right around us. There is a value to world missions. We're going to talk about that next week. But there's also this misunderstanding within the church that mission is something that missionaries do over there somewhere. We totally reject that as a church. That's a part of it. But every one of us are to see ourselves as sent people on mission, right where God has us now. Jesus just simply tells this guy to go to your people. Go to the people you know. Go to the people that are right around you. So so let me ask this question. Who are your people, right? Because every one of us in this room has a unique sphere of influence, right? You know people that none of the rest of us know. You have the ability to speak into certain people's lives that is unique to you, that none of us have the ability to speak into that individual's life, but you have that ability. These are your people. You speak their language. You understand their world. Maybe it's family. 
for you and you're supposed to go to family or maybe it's neighbors that are right around you or maybe it's the crew that you're down with. You know, maybe you're surfer and surfers are your people. You speak their language, you live in their world. You have an influence in their life that nobody else has. You can speak into their life. They know you, you know them, they trust you. Maybe you're a construction guy and, and that's your crew right? They're your people, and you speak construction, and you hang out with them, and that's your people. Or maybe you're military, and military's your people. I went to a, a ceremony uh, that I was invited to pray at a couple weeks ago for military. They speak an entirely different language. I didn't know what they were talking about half of the time. Maybe that's your people. You speak their language. You live in their world, but those are your people. Who, who's your people? Because you got people. And in many cases, you may be the only Christian that they're close to. You may be the only real light in their world. Now, what was the message that he was sent with? Because some of you guys are like, okay, I get it that I'm sent. I have people and I'm supposed to go to them. But what am I supposed to do when I get there? I mean, I don't even know the Bible all that great. And like, do I need to go to Bible college and like learn a whole bunch more? Maybe I should go to Bible study for 10 years and then I can go to my people. Look look at the message that he was sent with. No, you can't get in the boat. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. That's what you do. Verse 20, and the guy went, went away. And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus has done for him. And everyone was amazed. You are sent to share with people what God has done for you, right? The grace that saved you. The forgiveness that you have, uh, have gotten for your sins. The, the relationship that you now share with the Lord, the love that God has given to you and that you have experienced, that's what you're sent with. You don't need a doctorate in theology. Jesus didn't send this guy to Bible college. Jesus simply told him, go home to your people and report what great things the Lord has done to you and how he had mercy on you. And church, that's where it starts. There's certainly a value in studying the Bible and learning more. And every single one of us needs to do that. But that doesn't negate the fact that we are sent right now. If you're a born-again believer, you have received mercy from the Lord. And you can go and report that. And that's where you start. That means that every one of us that belong to Jesus, that have experienced the grace, that have had all of our sins washed away that have lives that have been changed by His love, and we have an eternity that has been taken care of, and we have nothing to fear in this world or the next, that means that we have something to tell people. And we are a sent people. And we can do exactly what the very first missionary that Jesus ever sent did. We can go away and proclaim to people what great things the Lord has done for us. Right here, right to the people right around us, right to your people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.
We thank you that you have taken our lives and redeemed them. That would have been enough. That we're a transformed people, that our sins are forgiven and our eternity is taken care of. That would have been enough. But then you turn around and you add a purpose and a meaning to our lives that we can't find anywhere else. Thank you, Jesus. Because you bring us in on your kingdom work. We now have an opportunity to see eternities change. Thank you, Jesus, that you've brought us in on that. Lord, we ask that you would just speak to each one of our hearts right now that we are a sent people and put people on our hearts right now. As we go through our week, remind us who our people are that we're supposed to be a light to. You called us the light of the world. You said that nobody takes a light and buries it under a bushel, but puts it on a lampstand where the whole house can see. May we be that light. Lord Jesus, we as a church declare our absolute dependence upon you. We declare that none of these things are possible apart from your Holy Spirit. So Father, we ask that you fill us with your Spirit now. As we worship you, pour out your Spirit upon us. A spirit of boldness and not fear. That we might share the grace and the love and the forgiveness that we have experienced in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.